This is episode 273. Four well-known panelists joined me for a conversation about the nuances of Maryland Governor Larry Hogan's Interstate 270 and 495 P3 traffic congestion relief plan. Welcome to a Minor Detail Podcast. My name is Ryan Miner. I am your host. I report on Maryland political news at aminordetail.com. We're a small, scrappy, upstart multimedia outlet in Maryland. We're ferociously fair and painstakingly independent. This year, A Minor Detail and its podcast turns five years old. This isn't your typical boring political podcast. We keep it fresh. We talk about the trending news in Maryland politics. We keep politicians honest, and we try to make sense of the news. We don't bullshit you on this podcast. You'll get the news straight up, no chaser. We can talk about extensively the P3 project. So so before we begin, I know we're live, but I just want to say thank you to all of the panelists who are here. Senator King, uh, Neil Harris. I keep wanting to call you congressman, but I don't I don't know why. Oh, no, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> you know, not yet, right? <laughs> uh, not ever. State Senator Nancy King, no stranger to Montgomery County. Dr. Marilyn Balcom who is the president, is it president and CEO of the Gaithersburg Germantown Chamber of Commerce? Correct. We'll go into bios in just a minute, but as I am opening this up, and then of course, Emmett Tidings, who is needs no introduction, is a Montgomery County businessman and transportation advocate. He's the co-founder and chairman of the group Citizens for Traffic Relief and the co-founder and an executive board member of the Suburban Transportation Alliance, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. So panelists, friends, folks, welcome. Many of you have some, I think, Neil, you've done the podcast before. We did it in person over at uh, one of the beer shops in downtown. Days, right? When you could do things in person. We had a good time. I think it was last year when you were running for re-election for the city council. Was uh, I wouldn't have been reelected without it? I'm sure. Well, well, yeah, right. Thank you. You're 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 awfully kind. But it was no no less a lot of fun. And as admittedly, I'm a Gaithersburg City resident, so I, I appreciate that. And I have to say, when I first came, to, when I first moved to Gaithersburg from North Potomac, Neil reached out and said, "I'd love to show you the lakes." And I said, "We have lakes in Gaithersburg," and it was right behind the Kentlands. And we went on this nice walk on a fall. It was a October Saturday. It was I think it was the first Saturday in October. And I was like, holy cow, I didn't even realize that Gaithersburg had lakes. Now, Maryland hasn't seen them yet. Arrange a tour, a tour group for you as well. Yes. That'd be great. Welcome to everyone. I really appreciate you coming on. And I, as I said to you in an email and to anyone who is tuning in and listening and will listen on the podcast, I, I am hosting a series of podcasts to talk about the governor's public-private partnership plan that will hopefully mitigate and relieve some of our traffic congestion in Montgomery County. I live in Gaithersburg. I think most of you live up county. I know Emmett, I don't, you live near what? Howard County. No, I'm in Brookville. You're Brookville. North of Albany. Dr. Balcom, you're, are you in Germantown? I'm in Germantown, please. It's Maryland. <laughs> okay. okay. Maryland. It's hard for me to, but okay. Senator King, I know you're in Montgomery Village. I'm about three miles from 270. Neil and I are practically neighbors. He's down the street in the Kentlands, about a mile 
or, you know, mile so away from me. Uh, living in Up County, I think we have a little bit different perspective about the traffic issues. And it's important to talk about those. And I want to have a fair, open, and honest, and a fun discussion today. As I said in my email, we're not a stuffy podcast. We could speak honestly and open. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce you once again, State Senator Nancy King, who is our Senate Majority Leader. And she is the chair of the all-powerful Senate Budget and Taxation Committee. Former former chair. Former chair. chair. Are you still on that committee? I'm still on the committee, Mm -hmm. yes. Is that the committee with um, with Feldman and Hershey? No, that's the finance that's committee. That's finance, okay. Every time I have Feldman and Hershey on, we, they usually are the first folks to come on the show when we kick off session, and they're, they're interesting. Of course, you represent District 39 in the Maryland State Senate. Gaithersburg City Councilman Neil Harris, he's originally from Philly. We won't hold that against him. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm a Steelers fan. You're a soft- software executive by day and a Gaithersburg City Councilman by night. You serve on the Gaithersburg Economic and Business Development Committee and the Transportation Committee. Neil, I want to say congratulations to the city of Gaithersburg for finally getting the 270 Watkins Mill Road interchange open last month. That's a that's a huge deal. It's only about a, a mile and a half from my house, and I can just I can zip right on the interstate. It's wonderful. It's it's going to be a boon for not only transportation congestion, but also for economic development. And I want to I, we have to give credit to Marilyn and Nancy for their support on that one as well. That was huge. And I'm so excited. Driving across that bridge, it still feels unreal. Wonderful. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. Yeah. We have Dr. Marilyn Balcom. That'll be the last time that I use her wonderful title. She is the president <laughs> and CEO of the Gaithersburg Germantown Chamber of Commerce. We have Emmett Tidings, who I introduced. And Emmett has been a longtime transportation advocate. And I want to talk first about the governor's plan. And I've pulled out a few quotes. We're going to get into the nuts and bolts of it. Senator King, we talk about the P3 plan. The P3 plan, there's a timeline on this plan. I want to go into detail of that in just a minute. Beginning with you, Senator, I'd like to ask a broad question, and this is going to apply to all panelists, and that is, what events really have led up to where we are today in Montgomery County and PG County with respect to our traffic problems on Interstate 270 and 495. How did we arrive at this? How did we arrive at this? As far as I'm concerned, it's just the growth in the area that that has just gone on for the last, however, 20, 30 years. The traffic has just mounted higher and higher every year. Um, You can always tell when school starts in September, how much more traffic there is each year. That's that's usually our barometer, um, how bad 270 is and how full it has gotten. I mean, I had people that said to me during this pandemic, oh, 270 can't be crowded because people are all staying home. 270 was still crowded through the whole, it's, it's never not been crowded. I, I can't tell you exactly how we got there, just through growth from what I can see. Emmett, do you think that, is it is it growth that has taken us there, the massive influx of people who have moved to Montgomery County. Uh, we have the state's largest school system. We have a dynamic workforce. There's a lot of positives about Montgomery County economically. People are attracted to move here, to go to school here, to raise a family here. And moving down from Western Maryland, where I grew up in Hagerstown, there's a lot more opportunity here. Has that obviously contributed to our traffic problems? 
Well, sure it has. And it's definitely growth, past growth and then future growth. And of course, the federal government, you know, we're blessed with the federal government job base that we have here in the entire region. But uh, the forecasts that are done down at the Council of Governments, which are nearing, I think, almost 60 years of forecasts, um, have always underprojected the growth statistics for our region, both population, households, and jobs. A lot of leaders don't believe those numbers, even though we underproject, without exception, um, or the only exception being 2010 to 12 with the Great Recession, um, which I think is um, you know, relevant to this uh, dip in traffic that we have currently or congestion with COVID. Uh, Marilyn, you, as someone who studies the economic impacts of of the economy, of mm-hmm. how transportation, of course, how basically every virtually every aspect of our economy affects businesses in your chamber of commerce position. Have you noticed over the last decade or so that the traffic problem has created more problems for businesses or people who want to commute? Sure, uh, absolutely. Um, one of the one of the issues about your your previous question of where why we got here is the imbalance of housing and jobs. The, the area, the up county, is a master planned area with a balance of jobs and people, and we don't and it, it's unbalanced. So we need more jobs, and we need the transportation uh, projects that were promised in the master plan. But we hear all the time from employers who have a significant problem with finding people, finding employees. And the issue is, is also affordable housing. And so it's a very expensive place to live, Montgomery County. It's a great place to live. Uh, I've been here for 25 years, but it's also expensive. Which So what that means is that employees move further out and out and out. They, they drive until they can afford to, to buy a house. And so that is a problem for employers. Um, it's a problem for attraction and retention uh, for employees. So it, it needs to be solved. Thank you. Councilman Harris, uh, from the, the city council perspective, you serve on the, the transportation committee. You talk about traffic issues frequently. We talked a little bit about planning. And I have to say the Ketlins neighborhood is possibly one of the best planned neighborhoods in, the, in many years, if my wife and I could move there tomorrow, we, we have to afford it, first of all. It's a beautiful, wonderful, creative neighborhood. Is planning, that has to be one part of the equation for traffic issues. But here in Up County, and as a city councilman, what, are, what kind of issues do you face, do you hear from residents like myself and many others? What are they bringing to your table as far as transportation problems? Well, they're really unhappy about the traffic situation. I mean, COVID accepted, right? Normally, it's like it, you see behind me here in this picture, 270 is a parking lot. My, the, my day job is with a company in Reston, and I would never have taken the job if I actually had to commute to the office. I, I work from home four days a week normally. It's brutal. It's about 10 miles as the crow flies, and it's you know an hour and a half on Friday afternoon to come home. The problem caused by not just growth, but lack of keeping up with growth, okay? There was supposed to be a second beltway back when this region was planned back in the 50s and 60s. There was, all that's left of it is uh, the ICC today, but that was supposed to extend in a complete ring around the DC region. So, so many major transportation projects have been canceled uh, over the years or greatly delayed mm-hmm. at, at, at best. 
that we simply haven't kept up. We haven't kept up with enough housing. And I want to make a point on something you just said about the Kentlands. The Kentlands wasn't built to be an expensive neighborhood. Right. It's such an attractive neighborhood, and there haven't been enough enough neighborhoods built like this where you can walk to anywhere. I mean, I, I'm two blocks from 20 restaurants and a movie theater. It's a good life. It, the supply and demand is imbalanced in so many ways in this region. There aren't enough schools. There aren't enough houses. There aren't enough roadways. And we need to build an economic system here that lets you keep up. And that's really the big challenge. It's not It's not a Gaithersburg challenge. It's a regional pro- challenge. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Let's talk about the timeline of the governor's plan. Senator King, being at the state, I'm sure that there has been several ideas or proposals or at least ideas floated for years about the traffic congestion problems. Um, mm-hmm. In your experience, you first became... You first were a member of the House of Delegates. Was it back in 2006? Uh, 2003 that I started, yeah. So back then, uh, Governor Bob Ehrlich was, uh, he was just coming into office. And then, so you've seen three governors in your time in in state Mm -hmm. government. Over that time, what are some, what were the discussions about fixing 270? Of course, Bob Ehrlich was a major proponent of the ICC, which I think turned out, pretty well. It should be paid off in, uh, what, 10 or, 10, 10 or 11 years now? I think so. There has just always been this friction uh, between transit or between mass transit and, and roads. That's what I've dealt with mm-hmm. since I came, since I went to Annapolis. And it's what I deal with here in the county. People in the down county, south of the Beltway, want us to do mass transit. They want it, They want people on buses and on on other forms of transportation besides roads. And then there's the people in the up county where the transit is not, um, it's not convenient. If you live in Clarksburg, you live out in farther out in Frederick, you, you can't do transit. So, so that's been our part of the county is dealing with trying, trying to get the roads available for people to drive on. But south, south of the Beltway, people don't want to hear about that. <laughs> I think that that's a fair argument. That is a fair argument. I've been in meetings in Silver Spring and elsewhere where you're around a group of very prominent and dedicated political activists. You feel like the minority. My wife and I feel like sometimes that we support a a comprehensive approach. We we don't limit ourselves to just transit because understanding up county that we can't always have access to transit. Now, if we did, great. I, I would love to sometimes just zip over uh, to a metro station. That would be a few moments from my house. I'd love to walk to a metro station. Right. Be, it'd be ideal. But back in 2017, Governor Larry Hogan, who's a Republican, he announced plans to use the state's existing public-private partnership laws to mitigate traffic congestion for Interstate 270 and I-495, it was the idea of express toll lanes in both directions. In 2009, we'll fast forward, the governor signed a capital beltway accord with Virginia Governor Ralph Northam to widen and then rebuild the American Legion Bridge. The state reached out to potential private firms to bid on the highway. At the time, there were questions about how much this plan would cost. And I think that we can all agree that the public-private partnership portion of this, it's a fascinating concept. In this plan, whomever ultimately wins the bid to begin phase one construction, 
they're going to be on the hook for for paying for this. The tolls, of course, will they'll be able to reap the benefits of the tolls in perpetuity uh, until this plan is paid off. And I'm hearing estimates anywhere between nine and eleven billion with a B dollars. So is that accurate? I think it's pretty accurate, but I think what it's important for people to understand is because I've seen a, a lot of different uh, people on, on Facebook and some of the media saying that the taxpayers are going to be stuck paying for this thing. And that is not the plan that the, uh, that the state is pursuing. They have designed what they want. They're having the, um, the contractors bid on it, but they ha- will have the understanding when they accept this contract that any overruns are going to be paid for by them and not by the taxpayers. So that yep. is a huge part of that that proposal. On June 5th of 2019, Emmett and I were at the same meeting, which is at the Board of Public Works. And boy, oh boy, if you haven't been to a Board of Public Works meeting in the last year, treat. you are missing out. Those are fun. Anybody who's listening who is maybe not familiar, you're laughing, Marilyn, anybody who's listening out on the outside is thinking this guy must be nuts. Those things are like watching paint dry. But really, no, they are fascinating. The whole room is filled up. There's hundreds of people that are sometimes waiting outside all the way down the stairs to on the first floor of the uh, the Capitol building. Em and I were there on June 5th, 2019. I'll never forget it because County Executive Mark Elrich, he, he had an interesting approach that day when he was addressing the governor. They sort of got into a tit for tat and it was fun to watch because the governor said Mark Elrich complained that Montgomery County wasn't included in the process. And he said, look, I've been working with Ike Lagan on this for two years. And he says, I didn't even know who you were back then. It was just sort of a funny moment. It probably wasn't very funny to both of them. I kind of had a chunk. The Board of Public Works, uh, by a two-to-one vote, they advanced the H- Hogan's proposal by formally designating the project as a public-private partnership. Fast forward to May 18th of 2019, there's another sort of sideway discussion. Emmett, we have this monorail discussion. Mm-hmm. A developer uh, from Montgomery County. I love the monorail. Yeah. He talked about maybe putting a monorail system between Shady Grove all the way up to Frederick. It's something that I've long considered. Whether we would have the capacity or not is the question how much it would cost, how we would pay for it. Marilyn, you had talked about in a, I think it was a Washington Post article or a Bethesda Beat, you said this was outside-the-box thinking, and it's a genius way to provide better transportation in addition to expanding I-270 toll lanes. Is the monorail project still being considered? Is that in the works? What- uh, so I'm assuming that there's that, that someone's looking at it. It was part of the deal struck at the Board of Public Works that day. Um, you know, my view on the on the on the transportation solution is that it's an all of the above solution. So we need roads, we need transit, we need we need to reduce uh, tri- road trips when we can, right? So it's all of the above. So we're we're very interested in the study of the monorail, and uh, we've been briefed on the project several times in the past few years. Other jurisdictions are using it with success. Um, I don't think that it takes the place. I wouldn't want to see the I-270 project stalled because of this. I say, let's look at it, but let's not uh, pause this project. We've been studying I-270 and 495 for a very, very long time. And I think everyone agrees that we need to increase capacity 
in some way. And I think the P3 is the the only cost-effective way to do it because the state doesn't have the money to do it. Uh, so a P3 makes sense. That's correct. Last December, Emmett, Maryland Comptroller Peter Francho, who has been a reliable, reliable political ally and partner with Governor Hogan. It's kind of uh, uh, an interesting situation between the two gentlemen. It's a nice bipartisan moment, I think, in our state history. But last December, Comptroller Francho, albeit only briefly, he held up the plan but was able to garner some concessions from the governor, Francho, who was running for governor in 2020. And incidentally, I'm going to pat myself on the head. Minor Detail was the first to report that back in January down in Silver Spring, interestingly enough. And Mr. Francho, he was able to steer MDOT's amendments from a a December 4th to a December 18th meeting. Then the governor ultimately canceled that meeting. And I remember interviewing Comptroller Francho up in Frederick. Emmett, I I read a quote from you and you talked about how these projects, sometimes you get some blowback. Sometimes you get pushback. There's ebbs and flows of these transportation, these major problems. But from your perspective, clearly Francho was able to get through to Hogan. But what do you what do you think went on there? What do you think that Hogan kind of acquiesced and said, look, I, I can't do this. I can't get by without Francho's support. Being on a Zoom conference with a couple of elected officials, I'll be a delicate with that answer. But I think a lot of <laughs> politics played into it. I think Comptroller Francho was very cognizant of a future run for governor, and that was a bit of window dressing. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> that was very gratuitous and very kind, so I'll, I'll take that. Of course, Hogan and Francho, Councilman Harris, they reached a deal on January the 3rd this year to move forward with the PPP, and the deal involved an agreement with Virginia to build a new American Legion bridge. Existing lanes on 270, uh, they would not pay tolls. There would be no tolls on 495. All existing lanes will be free. There's no tax hikes, and there's, and this no longer includes construction east of I-270 towards I-95. And then, of course, on January the 8th, the Board of Public Works voted uh, to, a 2-to-1 vote uh, to move ahead with planning on the first phase of I-270 and 495, and here we are today. Councilman Harris, there's a lot of acronyms, and I, I, I lose track sometimes, especially with MDOT, SHA, WMATA. I can't keep track of all the transportation acronyms, and I'm hoping that you can. What I'd like to do is briefly explain what this phase one process is. What is the first element of this P3 plan? And of course, it's 495 and 270, the managed lane studies. But what are managed lanes? What is happening now? Uh, what should we expect here in the future? Well, you can see what it looks like in other areas of the region, right? If you're taking I-95 uh, through Baltimore and you're getting north of Baltimore, you have the option of moving from the regular three lanes of the 95 into managed toll lanes. If you're down in Virginia, it's the same thing. Once you get south of the Beltway, if there's traffic in the, in the regular lanes, you have the option of moving into a toll lane. The idea is that that if somebody is uh, has a time-sensitive issue, they need to get to work, they need to have a meeting, they need to pick their kids up from daycare, and there's a lot of traffic and you need to go faster, you can opt to pay a toll and use the, the extra lanes. Uh, and the benefit to the people that aren't paying the toll is that 
the other people are getting out of your way, essentially. They're paying for the privilege of not being in your way. So the, the data shows that traffic is moving 10% faster in the free lanes, thanks to the toll lanes. So even th there's, a, there's a misconception that these tolls get mm -hmm. really expensive. Mm -hmm. The only road that that happens on is I-66 in uh, approaching DC. And the reason for that is it's a toll only lane. It, it's very different, it's a toll only road. You can't go on that road unless you pay a toll. And the tolls are designed to keep traffic moving at a pretty high rate. So there, the idea is it gets really expensive. The, the message is don't take this road. The managed lanes all over the region aren't like that. They don't get really expensive and they work. They get people off the regular roads and they're paid for by the people, essentially the people paying the tolls, whether it's a publicly funded project to begin with, or if it's a privately funded, like a P3, eventually the people that are using the road are the ones that are paying for it. And the regular taxpayers aren't paying for it. So it's a great deal all around. It just works. Marilyn, from a business perspective, your experience, P3 projects have been used all over the country. They're mm -hmm. not simply unique to Maryland, but it seems like this could be a good deal. I know that we still have to read the DEIS, and we'll, we're going to talk about that in just a bit. It seems like, okay, we're going to give this out to, we're going to bid this out to private contractors. They're going to be on, they're going to be responsible for building it, financing it, all the construction. We're going to hold them accountable. And if it doesn't work out, then, you know, we're going to have some trigger mechanisms in place to, to, to figure that out. But it seems like overall, they're going to build this really expensive, I don't say really expensive, but an expensive, you know, up in the billion. Expensive. Yeah, they're going to build this. It kind of seems like it's a good partnership with government and the private sector. From an economic perspective, it's it's the only way to go. Um, and as Neil said, the, the, we're not taking away any free lanes. So the people who are riding in free lanes will continue to ride in free lanes. And the people who use the toll lanes are the people who are going to pay for pay for this project. I think it's it's a smart from an, from a business perspective. It really is the only option to because transportation projects like this are so expensive, yeah. uh, and there's just no way that the state would be able to to, to pay for this. And so people who uh, oppose the project were not raising taxes to pay for this road. People who are going to pay for this road are the people who are going to use the road. Um, and that makes sense. Thank you. Senator, this past March, this past legislative session that unfortunately was cut short due to the coronavirus outbreak, and I was excited. I always love Sine Die because of uh, I get to eat free on the state circle. Right. Delegate Kumar Barve of my district here in 17, who chairs the House Economic, or rather House Environment and Transportation Committee, he was joined by two of his House colleagues in an effort to place restraints on the governor's P3 project. Three bills were introduced to tamper down on Hogan's plan. These bills were not taken up in the state Senate. The bills died and session concluded, I think it was what, April 4th? I think that's about right. So Bar no, we were like the 16th of March. Was, was Okay. And Barve's plan, he wanted to limit tolls on P3 bridges to 10 cents a mile, unless, of course, the BOP authorized them to go higher. Senator King, Chairman Barve, in an interview with Bethesda Beat, said somebody big and important in the Senate 
is opposed to slowing down this project, you then reiterated your opposition to place restraints on the governor's traffic plan. It must get tiring sometimes facing the Montgomery County delegation, who are largely... Well, I'm kind of in the minority on that. There kind are of. people that have, have gone along with me, but um, I don't think there's anyone else in our delegation. Well, Brian Feldman's been really supportive. He's He's been good. And and when you talk to Kumar, he understands that there has to be some traffic relief. Most of our delegation lives down down county, and so that's that's been mm-hmm. my flag to carry is the defending the, the two seventy. I would really love to see that whole thing going farther north than just stopping at Gaithersburg. I'd like to see the project going going north because we we need relief all the way up through Frederick. I mean, the traffic sitting there mostly stopped uh, heading north in the afternoon is just awful. I could not agree more when I am driving to Hagerstown, and I do so more frequently these days because I have aging grandparents and my mom and dad and my stepfather. They all live in Hager. That's where my whole family's really at. Where my daughter is. So when you drive up 270 and when it sections off into two lanes, there's always a bottleneck. And we all know where it is. It's just past Boyd's right before we get to the the way station. And then, of course, the way station on 270, <laughs> there's always a bottleneck there, even though when trucks are not stopping. And I can never understand it. Then you yeah. go past I, Urbana and it's. I un- think there's an immediacy here that that we we can't hold off. And, and I, Marilyn was right when she said we're looking at everything. We've got to look at at mass transit. We've mm-hmm. got just anything that we can do to, to mitigate this traffic issue. I mean, I'm, ta- I'm talking to big companies, CEOs that are saying they can't get people to come here mm-hmm. to work for them, to live in our area, because they experience that traffic one day and they say, I, I'm not doing that. I mean, it's part it's part of our economic future. We have to solve that problem. That's right. And Senator, you have a really solid relationship with Senate President Emeritus Miller, Senate Emeritus, bungling his title, but I'll just call him Mike Miller for short. He (laughs) is a supporter of this project. That clown can go a long way in the state Senate, even though we have a a Baltimore (laughs) top-heavy Maryland General Assembly. Having the former Senate president stand behind this project, I think that speaks volumes. It does. And, I mean, he gets it. Of course, he's, he has spent his time over the years sitting in traffic on 272. So. Right. Emmett, you yeah. for years have battled out transportation issues, huge issues in the organizations that you've been part of. You have you and, and many others have faced off against criticism, sometimes sometimes fair criticisms, uh, sometimes concerns over environmental the environmental impacts of this the plans you've probably been accused of just being the roads guy just wanting more induced capacity and and induced demand but emmett let's talk about some of those criticisms and how you push back with the facts there's been misconceptions about this p3 plan we hear a lot of it from people who don't even live in montgomery county who fail to understand what we go through on a daily basis Mm Emmett, tell me about that. Tell me about some of the work that you've done over the years to educate people and to battle it with the facts. Yeah, well, it's interesting. What I what I find is that it's really hard for many people, the opponents, particularly 
to perceive and then concede that there are citizens like myself that aren't involved in transportation from a professional standpoint, aren't involved in development, anything having to do that would benefit from these transportation projects besides just be able to drive around the region. And, and in all fairness, I do drive the entire region pretty much from Bel Air, Maryland to Manassas, Springfield and Queen Anne County across the bridge and, and so on. So um, it does help me personally, but only in that respect. And they, they really find it very hard to believe that citizens want this. And I hear a lot of the criticism is that the citizens don't want this. But study after study, poll after poll, they uh, do want this. Says, that, says that the citizens do want it. And it's really a silent majority that's not being heard and the you know, vocal minority that's being heard. And I think, um, you know, I, I often say, you know, I quote the Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton, it's the economy, stupid. And Marilyn already really acknowledged it's, it's an economic development matter. And as a small business owner, that's really, um, besides just kind of a fun nerd thing for me, um, <laughs> it's, it, that's really what drives um, folks like myself, I think, to, to, to support it. Wow. And yeah, we've heard, you know, we've been called, we, whomever that's a proponent, um, been called names and uh, accused of all sorts of really sometimes heinous things. And it's really just supporting a, a sensible project. And, and and Marilyn pointed out, you know, no free lanes are going to be taken. Neil says that the um, free lanes will, will, will go faster. I mean, some of the comments we see on our Facebook page mm -hmm. for SMTA, Suburban Maryland Transportation Alliance, and Citizens for uh, Traffic Relief are, are kind of comical, but they're, they're really, some of them are, besides being crude, are just, just not based in fact. Is that people perpetrating these non-factual, um, I'll, I'll leave the label at non-factual uh, mm -hmm. things about transportation that seems to carry the day from the Washington Post, Katie Shaver to, you know, take what, right. whatever media you have, and, except yours. Thank you. Well, no, well, I have to say that I know that some of the media out there, they are, they're writing about the process, the timeline, and much more extensively than I have it's there's no secret. I'm personally invested in making sure that my life is made better, that I can get my kids to school on time, that we can travel without sitting in traffic to see friends and family in Hagerstown for two hours on a weekday. And with the coronavirus, of course, that has been mitigated. And I just want to say I flat out reject this concept. Uh, Delegate Corman and Delegate Krim wrote a couple of weeks ago, I think it was featured in Maryland Matters or, or one of the other media outlets that, that now is the perfect opportunity to for employers to encourage people to work more from home. And I think mm -hmm. it was written in good faith, but it's just a argument that I just can't wrap my head around. Councilman Harris, as a member of the Transportation Planning Board, back in 2017 in July, they voted, they voted against removing the Northern Potomac River crossing over objections from several of the uh, your board colleagues at the time. You said you want, and we're talking about a second bridge crossing, which I think that it's not part of this project. So I don't, I don't know if that will ever come to fruition. It's been talked about for years. I don't think in my lifetime. <laughs> yeah, well, you never know. You said you wanted solid data on the bridge project. And I have to say, you Wharton MBAs, you guys are smart. You're always looking for qualitative analysis. I love it. I went to Mount St. Mary's. I wasn't smart enough to get into Wharton, but I love quantifiable analysis. I'm a nerd. I love data. And you said quantifiable analysis as opposed to political expediency. 
And this was a quote in my MC Media. Doug Tallman wrote the piece. Council member Roger Berliner, who was the council president at the time, he said a second bridge crossing would never happen. Is that true? Is Do you think that a second bridge crossing could ever be put back on the table to mitigate traffic congestion? So first of all, when I talked to Roger Berliner personally, he said, look, why should why fight for it? Because it won't happen for 50 years. And I said, I think that's our job to fight for things in the long term. It's yeah. not, you know. We might not live that long, although I hope Nancy takes her vitamins and lives to see it. But uh, I do too, uh, and me too, because I'm not a spring chicken myself. But um, you know, so to me, it was so frustrating. So let me give you a little bit of background. I joined the transportation planning board immediately became, after becoming an elected official here, because I was at that point commuting five days a week to Reston, and it was miserable. And I didn't understand how the capital of the richest country in the history of the world can't have can't fix a traffic problem. It just seemed ridiculous. At the end of the year, some data was shown to us that said that in the 25-year plan for the region, traffic congestion will be 72% worse than it is today. And that just didn't seem acceptable. So that's when we started this process and uh, that led to some data analysis. Um, We won won the, the, the fight to actually analyze that outer crossing by one vote. So I, I consider myself the swing vote on that one, but we had a lot of help, mostly from people in Northern Virginia, because without actually checking the facts, how can you make good decisions, right. all right? Um, so the facts are that traffic is, uh, that you build a road and then traffic gets worse. Well, maybe you didn't build enough capacity. Um, some people have said that we, look, after all, we expanded uh, I-270 dramatically in 1990, and then now look at it now. Well, okay, we've added a whole lot of people in this region since 1990. And if it got crowded too soon, it means we didn't add enough capacity. And I think we just need to understand what's it, what's it really going to take. We know that today, if you added 15% of capacity or reduced tra- tra- transportation demand by 15%, traffic, would, traffic congestion would basically go away. You see it today with COVID. This is not an ideal situation. This is not what we should be aiming for. We don't want uh, suddenly uh, everybody to stop working. We need to know how much capacity we need and how we're gonna get there. Are we gonna get there by building roads? Are we gonna get there by transit? And I think what Marilyn said before is, is exactly right. It's all of the above. We need to do everything. We need to build roads. We need to add transit capacity. We need to see if more people can work from home. I think that this COVID situation is teaching people how so I'm encouraged that more people will uh, probably start working from home after this is all over. But I don't think 15% of the workforce is suddenly going to start working from home all at once. We need to look at, and not just look at today's capacity, but look at 10 years from now, 20 years, because we're not going to build this stuff every year or every five years. Uh, and that's the part that we're not doing. We're not making the kind of investments in and using the kind of foresight that we need and gathering the data. The data is out there. There's just a a lack of political will to actually do the analysis. Well, that's the point. And someone like yourself, Marilyn, who over at the Chamber of Commerce, you have to do a lot of analysis. That's part of the job, the gig to figure out what works best in the local economy, what draws people to Montgomery County, how to support your small businesses in this chamber function, have you heard from businesses or interested businesses over the years who have said, look, Maryland, we would love to come to Montgomery County, 
There's a lot of space. There's uh, there's retail space. There's a lot of great restaurants and amenities. But this traffic nightmare is just something that we can't do. Mm-hmm. Well, we do we do hear that all the time from our existing from our exi- we work more closely with our existing businesses in in the area, and we hear that all the time from the from the transportation perspective and getting employees from point A to point B. And it's it's difficult to talk about the transportation problem without talking about affordable housing. I mentioned that earlier in the piece, but the master plan the master plan process is important too. So when you look at the up county, for instance, there were there were a lot of transportation projects in the master plans in the up county that weren't built. And so why are we in the mess that we're in? Is we, we have the increased population without the increased infrastructure. And so I also think there's a, this question about what people think Montgomery County is. Everybody, everybody wants it to stay the same. And what that means is staying the same. I once heard somebody say, it means stay the same the day you moved in to the county, right? So if that's five years ago, 10 years ago, 40 years ago. Everybody has this idea of what Montgomery County should be uh, based on a past nostalgic notion. We, we're we growing um, and we need the infrastructure to, to maintain that. I haven't heard it phrased quite like that, but yeah, that was well put, though. very well put, very salient point. The Federal Highway Administration, here's another one of those acronyms, the FHWA. Again, I'm having problems keeping track of all of these letters, they issued a notice of intent to prepare an environmental impact study to examine this project. The managed lane study on 495 and 270, the first element is the P3 project, uh, which is now we have a draft uh, environmental impact statement. And that just came out in, I think it was uh, July the 10th. It's federally required the draft environmental impact statement was released and published, which now can be found on MDOT's website. I did not read all of it because who could read, what, 18,000 pages? I read basically a summary of it over the weekend. And the reports are interesting. Senator, part of your job as a elected official is you got to read a lot. You have to read a lot. <laughs> Quite a, I read so much boring stuff you would not could I, not imagine. I'm sure your colleagues here in Montgomery County. Do you get a sense that they have reviewed the the at least the executive summary of the DEIS because there's some really important findings in that document. And again, I encourage anybody to get there get yourself a copy. You can look at it a PDF mm-hmm. online. There are some fascinating content that you will extrapolate from that. And the Washington Post and some local media did some articles on that. But Senator, do you get a sense that people are reading this? I don't want to indict any of my colleagues. <laughs> I would doubt very much that anybody's read it. I mean, it's it's not real exciting material. <laughs> I think so. I think um, it is. Yeah. I mean, I would doubt very much that anybody has put the time in on it yet. I, th- I think they will when it's time. And, you know, we, we get a lot of studies like that. We get a lot of a lot of material to read, and that's what we all have staffs for, so they help out with a little bit. But uh, I would doubt very much that anybody's put too much time in it. Well, I hope that they do read it. And, of course, phase one, again, is to improve I-495 from the vicinity 
of the GW Memorial Parkway and Virginia and across and including the American Legion Bridge to mm-hmm. Interstate 270 Western Spur. Now they have an app. They had an application prod process that's running concurrent with I-495 and 270 on the managed lane study. As of July the 10th, as I said, they released the draft environmental impact statement, and it was uh, published by MDOT, SHA, FHWA. It's interesting. Again, considered ways to relieve congestion. It's a long report. There's going to be public hearings. And anybody who's listening, who's interested yeah. in this, take <laughs> note that the public hearings, there's six of them that will occur, four virtual and two in person. They had to reevaluate to make sure that everybody's safe in the amid of coronavirus. On August 18th, August 20th, August 25th, and September the 3rd, they will be the virtual hearings. There's an in-person hearing on Thursday, September 1st, 2020 in PG County, and the following week on September the 10th, that's a Thursday, there will be one in MoCo. People, organizations, all kinds of groups will have the opportunity to comment on this draft environmental impact statement in JPA, which is the joint federal state permit application. Recently... Can I make a comment? Yes, please. Let me just say that a lot of people don't like to to sign up and and do public comment like that Mm because they always think their voice isn't heard. And I know from my own experience that, that your voice is heard. And that people, if they have an opinion one way or another on this, need to speak up um, and, and let their voice be heard because this is a big issue for our whole region. People need to read the material and know what's happening and they need to speak up. On July 20th, the meeting at the Montgomery County of uh, the Montgomery County Transportation and Environmental Committee, it's chaired by Tom Hucker and Evan Glass and Hans Riemer are part of that. They reviewed the DEIS, and Tom Hucker has requested the Maryland Department of Transportation, their staff, present an overview of the DEIS prior to the state's public hearings. The key Montgomery County P3 participants, some of the, the groups that are likely to comment, will be Planning Board Chair Casey Anderson, Department of Transportation Director Christopher Conklin, and MDOT Government Liaison and Communications Manager Sean, I think, is it E. Yume? I think, I don't know. Yeah, okay. This study, which, by the way, again, you can read this impact statement, and it talks about quite a number of issues and analysis. Emmett, have you had the opportunity to scroll through the summary and get a sense of what this impact statement says? Well, no, I'll confess I've, I've glanced through the 14-pager, but the 14-pager is really a preface to the 360 or 380-page <laughs> summary, which is, of course, the summary of the 18,000 pagers. Tom Hucker has pointed out that's greater than I, some fantastic number of whatever uh, war and peace 100 times over. So, uh, no, but I, I'd like to comment about um, Councilman Hucker's um, opposition and um, some of the folks he's teamed with, and even remarkably, Carol Prim's opposition, you know, um, and Carol briefly sat on the citizen advisory at the the, uh, TPB um, with me years ago, I don't remember what year, but some of these folks um, uh, really haven't been paying attention. This process, and Neil um, alluded to the uh, the Long Range Planning Task Force, which visualized 45 as our guiding document for the region for transportation. And it's really a, a newly named uh, what was called for 55 years or so, the Constrained Long Range Plan, the CLRP. 
but it now incorporates these unconstrained elements of which the toll lane network is one, which the second crossing or Northern Potomac River crossing almost made it into. But this process has been going on for 20 years. I, I was there when they introduced these studies in 2002 that were the really the birth of this process that became the task force that I sat on with Neil in, in 2017 into 2018, correct me if I'm wrong on the dates, Neil, and um, that embedded these unconstrained projects, policies, and programs, one of which again was Toll Lane Network. But this stuff's been going, it's been underneath um, folks' noses for a long time. So if they were paying attention, they wouldn't be saying things. I mean, Tom Hooker's really... Um, talking about, well, this was dumped, foisted on us and without participation, kind of that Mark Elrich thing that you uh, kind of joked about earlier, that, you know, you sprung this on us. But, you know, the governor, this was plopped in the governor's lap. These things don't grow on trees. This yeah. process started actually before 2002, but the first studies were released in 2002. And they have progressed. Actually, I've gone back and looked at the notes from 2006 when I was chair of the CAC to see exactly what we were doing. We were talking about a composite scenario which ultimately became the results of this task force that Neil and I and 18 other elected officials, I'm not elected, but uh, I think it was 18 officials and department heads, Neil, correct me anytime. This stuff's been out there long. I know Senator King's been paying attention because I sat with group her, I don't know, six years ago and she was pretty well versed. But I think a lot of this opposition, um, besides posturing for potential runs for a county executive or whatever it is, is a lack of knowledge and really politics, partisan politics and ignores this thing that, again, has been uh, talked about, it's economic development. We are mm-hmm. we are becoming, we have become pretty much a bedroom, sorry, soapbox, I'll get off in a sec, a bedroom community in Northern Virginia. They're winning, we're losing. Take whatever you metric, right. school systems, economy, whatever it is, take your metric. You know, mm-hmm. I've been here since for us. three years. We were always the top of the heap nationwide in Montgomery County, Maryland. We're not close anymore. You know, I, I don't know. I think just the educational uh, aspect with some of these folks are opposing, um, whether it be about the lanes, you know, are going to cost everyone money or whether, you know, it's just we, lack of education. Well, we've heard pejoratives being tossed over at this plan, Lexus lanes. Then you have, of course, Governor Hogan has taken a lot of heat. They call him, was it Lexus Lane Larry, Highway Larry? I don't know. It's been it's been kind of funny listening to all these nicknames. Uh, and, you know, even today, I think I read a story about how Governor Hogan had surmised what Donald Trump would call him since he was, <laughs> since the governor hasn't necessarily been the president's biggest fan. I, I was looking through this. The toll lane options could provide a massive traffic relief at the cost of billions of dollars, Marilyn. Billions mm-hmm. of dollars where businesses can thrive, people can get from point A to point B at a much more rapid pace. However, and you've talked about this, especially when you ran for county council, that transportation is not a one-size-fits-all solution. It multimodals of transportation. Why can't we look at a comprehensive approach? Why does it have to be one or the other? That's where I think people who live in Down County who are loudly opposed to this don't understand is that people who live in up county and who are invested in seeing this massive this massive traffic jam mitigate itself through this plan is that we're not saying no to to transit i don't i'm not saying no to trams look i'm a either ardent proponent of the purple line why is it maryland that all or nothing 
when it comes to so, transportation uh, projects? Yeah, I think that people get people get stuck in their ways in terms of they, they want to pit people into this roads versus transit project. This project has bus express bus free bus on the on the toll lanes, and so from that perspective, it really does open up. Um, if we have a one of the reasons people don't take the bus, there are a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is because you can get in your car and get there at the same the same amount of time. So if we can, if we have access to these the, these toll lanes that are going faster than the regular lanes, um, there's there will be an advantage to express bus, and so it will open up opportunities for mass transit. So I I, I don't understand that either because we're not saying only build roads. That's not at all what we're saying. Well, and, and for the people who say that we shouldn't build any more roads, because there are people out there saying that we should not build any more roads, they don't understand where we live. Exactly right. I live in a, in a suburban community. I can, I can walk to the grocery store, and I do on occasion, but I can't walk to my job. Right. It's disingenuous for someone to say we should not be building any more roads if they don't live in this community. Because this community, whether you like suburbia, suburban cul-de-sacs or not, this is where we live. And our transportation solutions need to meet our needs. That's So let me make a point. Please, here. Councilman. Back when there was the debate over whether or not to study the outer, the, uh, the outer Potomac Crossing Bridge, foolishly, I went into the lion's den and I spoke at a Tacoma Park Council meeting and said, won't you please support this? And one of the council members said, why should we support something that, that helps Gaithersburg? And I think that's part of the issue is mm -hmm. there's not enough money to go around. And therefore, the people inside the Beltway, you could not find a place to build another road for those people. There's no, a, a road will not help the people inside the Beltway get around. And if there's, the assumption is there's a limited amount of money available, they mm -hmm. want it to go to something that will help them and not help, and not help us. There needs to be enough resources to help everybody in order to make this thing work. And that's one of the big challenges. Otherwise, we're fighting over scraps. You, again, have a salient point. I remember last year down at a, I think it was a brewery or a craft beer joint in Silver Spring owned by some local folks. They had a meeting where Comptroller Franco was featured, and it was right around the time he was set to vote at the Board of Public Works. It might have been in late May. And Comptroller Franco, of course, is an ardent supporter of craft beer. He goes around the state and promotes it. And there was quite a crowd who came out. And I remember being one of the only supporters of the plan, or at least entertaining the concept. I wasn't shouted down, but people pushed back forcefully. And I remember one of the prominent activists, and I'm not going to give her name, she said, you are being selfish. You chose to live in the suburban area. You and your wife chose to live there, and you could have come to Silver Spring. You could have chosen to live in a walkable community. And I just wanted to say, well, wait a second. Yeah, we could have, but we didn't. And it didn't suit our lifestyle. We still have that freedom to choose where the heck we want to live based on what we can afford. And my lifestyle is fundamentally different than yours. If I could walk to work, I would. I would love it. 
I probably could walk to work based on where my job is because I also have an office in the Kentlands. My wife works in Bethesda. She has to drive from Gaithersburg to Bethesda. Not now, but when she did, she works at a, a global consulting company. For her to get to Bethesda in the morning from Gaithersburg takes over an hour, an hour of time. We would live in downtown Bethesda, but we don't want to because we like sunny, cozy Gaithersburg where we want people to visit. Thank you. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that's the point is that not all of our lifestyles are the same, and we have to come up with a solution that meets the demand of the, the specific area or region. It cannot be a one-size-fits-all. And that's where our friends who, who mean well don't quite understand what happens in Up County. Their solution is to, or at least one of their solutions, is to add more transit. Where? Where are we going to add it? Where the heck are we going to add more transit? Living voids. How does how does that transit help you? Right. I mean, are they going to ride cows down to Gaithersburg? I mean, I love Boyd's and we love Polesville. My wife and I love the Dollar General store up in Polesville. We go there all the time. Marilyn Balcom could be the president of the Polesville Chamber of Commerce. I would love it even more. Uh, I don't even know if they have a chamber. They have a, they have a great chamber. They okay. do a great job and they have a great chamber. As we wrap up this final hour, I, I just want to say... It was, I think we talked about some heavy policy. We've talked about kind of the genesis of how it came to be, where we are. The next steps are, of course, analyzing the the study. I'm guessing that MDOT will likely grant Mark Elridge an extension to review this. I think they seem open to it, at least according to the latest article from Maryland Matters. Mark Elridge, county executive of Montgomery County, he wrote a letter looking for uh, additional time to review this plan. And I think that, that 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 might be fair. I think we there's a lot of information, a lot of content. They have as dead long as we're not just stalling and stalling and stalling well, and stalling. But we know how that goes, Senator. We know how that happens all the time. When you want to when someone doesn't necessarily want to do the legwork and put their name out, they just stall. Yeah, it's it's the definition of what we do a summer study. That's right. <laughs> now we have the short list there's four companies on there. We didn't really get too much on that. Maybe that'll be in our next podcast. I'm interested to see and learn more about the four companies who made the shortlist to who then may ultimately put out an RFP in early 2021. Two major events, again, that happened in July. The DEIS was released on July the 10th. And on July 17th, four private sector teams were named to the shortlist P3 program. As we go around the the Zoom Brady Bunch channel here, Senator, I'm going to start with you. We'll get the last word. I'll get the last word, and then we'll just go around a circle here. All I can say is that that I just continue to advocate for for choices and not to shut the door on anything at this point. I I still like the uh, the monorail idea, even though they laugh at me when I talk about it. I I think it's got possibilities, and I just don't think we should shut the door on anything at this point. We need to. We need to solve the problem, Yeah. period. Fair. And for the first time on a Minor Detail podcast, I got to say, as I opened this up yesterday in a Facebook post, we have the, we have the MLB All-Stars on this panel. I, I mean that. And uh, although I wish my Red Sox were doing a little bit better this year. <laughs> <laughs> Marilyn, I'll give you uh, your final sure. word. <clears throat> Um, I would say, you know, uh, we fully support this project from the from the um, chamber's perspective and myself personally. I think starting with the American Legion Bridge is the absolute um, 
uh, best place to start. I think it has to happen, um, and that's a good place to start. Uh, and I'm watching closely. There's a, there's another project coming right behind this, and that's the I-270 from 370 north to 70. Um, I've said from the very beginning, had the governor picked the I-270 project first, all the way to Frederick, we wouldn't be in this um, in this quagmire. Uh, so, interesting. Th th those are my thoughts. Okay, uh, Emmett. Final thoughts on today's discussion. Maybe to everyone's surprise, I'm going to quote uh, Mark Corman, uh, Delegate Corman, in a conversation we had just a few weeks ago. We need. Well, excuse me. The conversation was actually the Gaithersburg Book Fair last summer, but we talked about it the other day. We need it all, and this whole you know roads versus transit thing really needs to kind of uh, abate. I don't think it will much, but, um, and I worked, by the way, uh, consulted free civically, sat in many meetings with Bob Isinger, the uh, the father of the monorail project. And I think the monorail project's cool. And I've kind of helped him, you know, along the way and advising him, but um, we need it all. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, an important point. Councilman Harris, who has the best restaurant recommendations inside of the city of Gaithersburg, who took me to what? Sin and Grin? Yes. Yes. I, next door I, to my house. Next door to your house. <laughs> they have a, a heck of a great menu. Haven't been there for a while, but you and I will have to stop over there sometime and, and, and sit down and talk about uh, the, the 18,000 pages. So I'd like to take a little different angle on this, which is this. Um, I had a conversation with one of the county councilmen uh, a year or two ago, right after that economic report had come out showing the lack of job growth here in Montgomery County. Mm -hmm. And they said to me that they were the council was wrestling with this, why is economic growth not happening? And I said, I think it's simple. If you want, and if you want a return on investment, you have to make investments. And mm -hmm. the governor wanted to invest get private companies to invest $10 billion in roads. The uh, monorail project wanting to invest their own money. They're not even looking for any public money. They just want access to the right of way. I mean, those kinds of investments are what we need in order to get this economy in this region going. I mean, the point of us becoming a bedroom community to Virginia is, is absolutely accurate. If you look over the river, they're making investments that we're not making here for a variety of reasons. Uh, so, it, you know, if we if we want to have a, an economic future and not be commuting like I had to do to rest in, then we need to get our act together. And this is this is one big piece of the puzzle. Well, we have an opportunity to to really achieve success. And I know that as smart people involved and with Greg Slater at the helm at MDOT, which I think is a, a net positive. He's a great guy. He's a different. And he was he was left with a huge mess when he took over well, that job. Yeah, I mean, look, Pete Rom is out in his ranch in New Mexico somewhere and enjoying retirement, and that was kind of interesting. But uh, we have a we have an opportunity to get it right. I think that Greg Slater has been nothing but transparent, and that's important because we're going to need major transparency among our elected officials to get this done. Because the, the, if they if opposition gets one cent that somebody is not being forthcoming about this project, it's going to get shut down. It's just the way it is. Well, I think we had a great discussion today. I thought it was informative, and we're going to keep this conversation going. Each of you bring a level of expertise 
to this discussion that is invaluable. Please keep speaking loud and loud and louder uh, among your colleagues and friends and organizations and networks because we're going to get the facts out. We're going to talk about this from all sides, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I hope that a minor detail podcast can be that place where people come together, whether they agree or disagree, and have those uh, impactful discussions. So thank you so much, panelists, for joining me on a Monday afternoon. You guys have been great. I owe you a beer sometime when we can all hang out together in person. So uh, thank you. I really appreciate your time today. Hey, it's Ryan. Could you stop what you're doing right now and subscribe to a Minor Detail podcast? You can visit iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, or virtually any available podcast directory to find a Minor Detail podcast and then click subscribe. Send me your feedback on the show and you can email me at ryan at a minor detail dot com or you can text me at 301-991-4220 and maybe I'll read your comments during our next podcast. Please visit and like A Minor Detail on Facebook and Twitter at A Minor Detail. That's with an E, not an O. And of course, visit a minor detail.com for the latest Maryland news and politics. And that's it. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you around.